The way I do genealogy, it's not birth date and death date. It's all about the dash. So your chances of your person being selected are a lot greater. And that's where those genealogy gems are. Hi, I'm Barbara. And I'm Hope. And we, we are, are the, the Heritage, Heritage Hunters. Each month, we will bring you real stories from real people researching their genealogy and family history to inspire you on your genealogical journey. On today's episode of Heritage Hunters, we'll be discussing the release of the 1950 United States Federal Population Census. We will be joined by guest Thomas McEntee, who is a genealogy professional, who's also a blogger, educator, author, social media connector, marketer, network builder, and more. Also joining us today is Dr. Stephen Morse, the author of the wonderful one-step tool, stevemorse.org. Our last guest is Starling Gorlecki from the DNA Search Angels. Stephen and Thomas, thank you so much for being here. We would like to discuss the release of the 1950 U.S. Federal Population Census. Thomas, you've been posting a lot of really wonderful links and items about it, so I would like for you to please talk about what you've been posting. Well, I'd actually like to go to Dr. Morse first because I rely upon the one-step tool. And, you know, Steve, when I pull it up, in every lecture I said, you should thank Dr. Morse every time you use this site. I said it has been so helpful. So I'm going to defer to him because I think that's where the focus should be to start. Okay. Tell us about the tool that you developed to help us find our relatives on the 1950 U.S. federal census. On April 1st, there will be no name index or at least no decent name index. They are promising an OCR index. I don't hold out too much hope for that. And without the name index, the only way to access the census initially will be by location. And to my knowledge, the only way to, to access by location are by using the tools on my website. I have several tools, but the primary one is called the Unified ED Finder. It's called Unified because we used to have two separate tools, one for searching, uh, getting the EDs in large cities and the other in rural areas. And being two separate tools, they had two different user interfaces. And I had to explain to people the difference between them and how to use each of the tools by unifying them into one tool with one user interface, it's much easier to explain, much easier for people to use. They use the one tool and they select either the large cities, which you then will search by streets and cross streets, or the small rural areas, which then get searched by the ED definitions. So the definition will mention that, the name of that small town. How did you come up with the idea to develop these tools? Well, that was very interesting. That goes back to 2001 when the 1930 census was about to come out. In a prior life, I'd worked with a fellow named Dave Case, and he was a volunteer at, at the National Archives in Boston, Waltham. And he realized there was going to be this problem when the census was released, that there was no way to find people. There was no name index and no plans for a name index. So he realized that people would have trouble obtaining their EDs. And he would be the first line of defense because people will come into the National Archives and go to the volunteers and say, how do I get to my census page? So Dave then started doing some web searches to see if anybody else was aware of the problem and working on it. And he discovered Joel Weintraub, 
also a National Archives volunteer in California. And Joel was in the process of generating tables for streets and ADs for the large cities. And they started working with Joel, but then the two of them realized they didn't know what to do with their results. They would just have a few spreadsheets and tables. And how do you make that available? Well, Dave hadn't worked with me in, in prior years. He was aware of the stuff that I was doing with the Ellis Island website and the tools I was putting up. So Dave said to Joel, I know a guy who knows how to put up websites and make the information available. So Dave contacted me, uh, asked if I was interested in working with them. And I said, well, sure, because here I'm, I'm getting known as the Ellis Island guy. I want to show I'm no more than just a trick pony, but I can do other things as well. So I contacted Joel and the rest is history. Steve, let me ask you, is it true that NARA sued you when you first developed your first tool because they thought you were taking the content, not directing people to it? NARA never sued me. Tell us not we did have some legal issues with it. Wow, wow. It, it all got resolved. You take a process that might take six steps to find like an Ellis Island passenger list and you consolidate it into one. Mm -hmm. We use the tool all the time. I have a lot of genealogy societies setting up special interest groups right now where they meet once a week on Zoom. People bring their 1950 addresses and they go through this. And I say, it's like a recipe. When you find a nice recipe you like on the card, you always have to reference it. Then it becomes sort of a rote situation. And Dr. Morris, I've been using your website for, it seems like eons, first of the Ellis Island information and other ports of entry, and then now with the census information. So thank you very much. You're absolutely wonderful. We consider you the god in the genealogy world. So Steve, I tell people that your group of volunteers who are amazing, did you start working on the 1950 census the day after the 1940 census was released <laughs> in 2012? I think it took about a year or two before we actually started okay. talking about it and got the, right. the, the call for volunteers. And, right. But yeah. we've been working on it since, let's say, 2014 or so. Yeah, a common question that I get is, I know when 1940 was released, you had a tool to convert a 1930 to a 1940 ED, but there's no such tool. And I say, I think it's just, there wasn't time, it's overwhelming. No, the reason we don't have any tool from 1940 to 1950 is that that information doesn't exist. And narrow microfilms, there are tables that go from 1930 and 30 to 40, and we, we transcribe those microfilms and use those yeah. tables. And the other thing is when I say you go to the Google Maps button that takes the information, mostly for urban addresses, I said, stop. You have to promise me when you hit that button, you won't see the street view of your ancestor's home and go down that rabbit hole, you know, that bright and shiny object where you click, oh, I want to see what's around it. I want to see what's the focus. We're here for the enumeration district. It's a great tool. Yeah, the purpose there is to get the cross streets. Exactly. The whole right. tool is based upon um, right. the street. The street yes. will narrow down to a set of EDs. Yeah. Even better. So you want to get the cross street. So you get the right. EDs common to those two streets. Sure. And if that doesn't get you a unique ED, you get yeah. other cross street. And yeah. there are cases where even that doesn't get you to a exactly. single ED. On Thursday, April 7th, 2022, join host Shamel Jordan for Genealogy Quick Start TV at 3 p.m. Eastern. Special guests include Sheila Benedict, James M. Beadler, and Michael John Neal. Genealogy Quick Start is an interactive genealogy TV program, not a webinar. The hosts invite you to chat, comment, and ask questions. Genealogy Quick Start is a 30-minute TV program providing the steps needed to begin researching your ancestry. Shamel and her guests explore hot topics with professional and everyday people researching family history. 
They focus on the fun and creativity involved in uncovering our past. Topics include online research, records, DNA, and much, much more. Join live from the Genealogy Quick Start Facebook page or YouTube page. What situation would not get you to a single ED by after you enter the street and both cross streets? Mm, I don't remember. No. Well, what if that street is a boundary street and the, oh, the odd no. numbers are on one, in one ED and the even numbers on the other ED? In yeah. that case, you have to then put down the back street. I use Richard J. Daly, the first Daly mayor in Chicago, as my example, because the historical fact, his house is still there. It's on South Low Avenue, so it's a North-South Avenue. And then I explained that their cross streets will be perpendicular, West 35th and West 36th, and their back streets are parallel, and they will be South Union and South Wallace. And I show them step by step, Chicago has a lot of enumeration districts. Once you put in that city, and then it's a process of whittling it down and narrowing it down. I did have one question attendee asked the other day, what if my street doesn't exist anymore? And I said, well, it may have been renamed. I showed them your street name change. And I said, it doesn't cover everything. I said, also, go look at the notices in newspapers. There may have been a process where it was renamed. And then also in Chicago, we have a problem. We have alleys. Alleys are where all our services are. We have no phone wires or wires out on the street. They're in the alley. Garbage is in the alley. And to a lot of people, they look like streets. So on the Google map. So I've had to say that. But again, it's just, it's a matter of understanding this. Do you think, Steve, that a lot of people are unaware that they need to do prep work, that we're going to have a lot of people on April 1st say, oh yeah, I think well, I'll look I, this I, person I stress up. that in my lectures that they should yeah. get their EDs now. Oh, yeah. The reason for that is that there'll be an onslaught on opening day. And yes. I tell them what happened for the 1940 census, right. 2012, the yeah. National Enterprise website crashed. Now, yeah. my website didn't crash, but it, it flickered. I typically yeah. get between 100, 100 150,000 hits a day, which is like wow. significant for a, a private person's website, not, not yeah. a company. I know. On opening day for 1940, I got two and a quarter million hits. Hi, hi, hi. So unless wow. you get, get fighting with the other two and a quarter million people, you better do your EDs now. Well, I think that this release is going to be much more intense because social media is bigger than it was 10 years ago. And also, I've already started seeing media stories, uh, the same story over and over in like local papers like patch.com. And I think the regular uh, uh, news media is going to really hit it home on the 30th and 31st. So, so I think we're, we're in store for, and that's what I tell people, say, do this now. When this webinar ends, you have everything you need to go and do this. And don't kick that can down the road. Thomas, can you share with us a couple of the steps that people should be taking now? So you need a tracking device. And so I created an Excel template. I'm a spreadsheet guy. Write it down. I do first, middle, and last name. I do the date of birth is important. Then I do their address, street address, city, county, state. The county is an important factor in doing this process. No zip code. They weren't around until the mid-60s. And then where did you get the information from, the source? We know in research, the source of information matters. And then also, what is the date of that address? You want as close to April 1st, 1950 as possible. I warn people in city directories, look in the 1951, because most of that info may have been submitted the year before. And then I have it all highlighted in yellow. I call it the Willy Wonka golden ticket, the enumeration district number. 
That's what you want to fill in. And then, thank you, Steve. I know that uh, Joel upgraded uh, the link from the enumeration district uh, description to go to where the viewer buttons are. And I use that link and I put that in the spreadsheet. So that I'm all ready. I have about 50 people. My mother was one to 12 kids and they were in Jersey City. My mother grew up with Rosie O'Donnell's mother in the projects. So I have all these, my 41 first cousins, and I'm one of the oldest, but it's that group that I want. That's who I want to find. So. What are you finding are the questions that are most asked of you about the 1950 The index, census? the index. And like Steve said, no, plausible. But from some of my ancestors on the uh, census, the enumerator, their handwriting was so bad, they had their own font. I swear to God, they had their own font. I don't know how OCR is going to be able to get all these loops. And not everyone did the Palmer method, believe me. So I don't know. I don't want to say it's not going to work. But you need to know how to also I think it's a good exercise to understand enumeration districts. They get that question. What is an ED? And finding the address. It could be a simple. One thing I say is like this. These old brownie photos from the 50s, there might be an address on the back if it's a house. City directories, historical newspapers. Because remember, the concept of privacy in 1950 was very different than today. You know, our right to be left alone is a late 20th century construct. It really is. So if your name was in the paper in 1950, pretty much your home address was there. So look for those. And then any personal correspondence, postcards. But you have to remember, if the street name changed, we tend to hold on to that. That old name. Like here in Chicago, I don't call it the Willis Tower. It's the Sears Tower. It's not Macy's. It's Marshall Fields. Thank you. Also business papers, tax returns, invoices. If someone testified in court, the third question after name and age is always, where do you live? What's your residence? And so all of that goes in. That's the race first. And then to go through that process. On Monday, April 11th, 2022, the Genealogical Society of Bergen County is hosting three diaries. 19th century diarists recorded faithful running accounts of neighborhood events such as births, marriages, and deaths, as well as accidents, fires, unusual weather events, local happenings, and celebrations, and even national and world events. These journals are a fascinating look into life more than 150 years ago, and a few journals have evolved over time into scrapbooks, layering more history into their pages. Diarists were the local reporters of their neighborhoods, faithfully noting events that went otherwise unrecorded, and some record births and deaths that are not found in official county or state vital records or religious records. The Genealogical Society of Bergen County, New Jersey is a nonprofit society founded in 1973. Their mission is to assist those researching their family heritage, assist those who are preserving information about the families and genealogical records of the greater Bergen County area, and to offer educational and research assistance to all those interested in genealogical research. Please visit them at www.njgsbc.org for additional information and membership. Uh, the other one I'm getting, Steve, is when will the index be released? Because people are on the edge, oh, I don't want to do this now. I'll wait to the index. I knew when for the 
1940 release, it was released incrementally, I think by county, once a county was complete. Do you, is that how it's gonna be, Steve? The OCR name index will be out right away, of course. Right. And then it's a matter of how, how soon the volunteers can, can, can get it done. And yes, it will be. My understanding is it will be incremental. You know that the 1940 release was projected to be 180 days for the index. Ancestry right now, when you go to their many pages, says summer 2022, the index will be ready. The 1940 came in at 123 days. Then we searched at 150,000 volunteers. I did Alaska. So this time, though, I think, Steve, is, is it true that FamilySearch says you'll be able to select the county and possibly the town or city as a volunteer? That's what I've heard. That I, I have no idea about. The volunteers that are going to be doing the transcription, well, they're going to be starting with the OCR. Of, right. Of, right. That, that gives them a head start. But something I just learned recently, National Archives will have their own set of volunteers. They're asking people to yes. volunteer to help them as well. I know so that. now we have two different groups competing yes. for volunteers. Right. That's going right. to cut right. into the volunteer pool. And that's probably well, going to be it will. The thing is, I've been pushing Family Search. I think Family Search does a better job because they take two volunteers and compare. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, I agree. Right. But the fact that you're cutting into the volunteer pool. Yes, I know. No, I agree. Now asking people to volunteer to I agree. make on their right. ICU. If it's true, and I had to verify uh, with Jim Erickson for Family Search, you know, I grew up in Sullivan County, New York, uh, up in the Borscht Belt. I'm a native. I know every township, every road, every surname. I think if that's available, it may only be for genealogy societies because if you use the volunteer form for family search, they're encouraging that. But that also might boost it. So I'm going to go out on a limb. I think they're going to get the index done, family search in 99 days. I really do. Okay, we're going to take you write it on down. That now. Yeah, 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 yeah. So 99 uh, but days. I, it was 123 days uh, for the last one, and I think with the OCR, if it works, then they start with that. But again. The reason I like the family search is it sort of follows a genealogical proof standard. One of the tenets is uh, resolve conflict data, data conflicts. So if I have nine birth records from my great grandfather and one has a different birth date, I need to resolve that. Otherwise, I haven't proven it. In family search index takes two volunteers for the same page. They do the indexing and they compare it. If there are differences, then an arbitrator steps in. So they've always had a strong census index compared to, I mean, there's one situation I point out in Ancestry. I think it's a 1910 uh, East Texas uh, census. And it's the most English surname you could find, like Plandetting. And there's a baby Mohammed listed. How many baby Mohammeds do you think there'd be in 1910 Eastern Texas? You pull up the record, it says baby not yet named. It does, to a non-native speaker, look like baby Muhammad, but you have to be able to put that language in context. I'm excited. Can you tell I'm excited? I've been working 14 hours a day. I'm on way too much caffeine. I don't want to speak against NARA's volunteer project, but as many people as we can get in to the family search, the better. So do you think that NARA and Family Search are going to work together and, you know, have NARA say, we're going to do this and you guys? No, there's been no, no talk about that at all. Already there's a release. Ancestries came out on the 27th with a press release on their blog about the artificial intelligence and OCR that they're using. And they're going to work with Family Search. Now, NARA is not going to work with anyone. I know that a lot of libraries are doing lobby displays, like from the 50s, hula hoops, poodle skirts. One library here, I did a lecture for out in the suburbs, they're going to have a workstation 
that people can walk up to and look up using C's tool, et cetera, the enumeration district. It's got instructions and everything. So library is going to be awesome. a big point of access. Thomas, if you had to pick one thing that you were most excited about, what would it be? Finding my mother for the first time in the 1950 census. I tell people that this is a snapshot of life in 1950, but also my, the way I do genealogy is not birth date and death date. It's all about the dash. I'm excited as the supplemental questions. In 1940, it was 40 people, 40 lines, two people. Now it's 30 line form and six people. So your chances of your person being selected are a lot greater. And that's where those genealogy gems are. It's hard to pick one thing. Yeah, I'm excited about the same thing the first time that both my parents will appear in the census. Hear what Steve is excited about. Well, seeing myself in the census for the first time, I, I missed the 1940 census by six weeks. Oh my God, six wow. weeks. I think my parents should have known that it would be a genealogist one day and they should have yeah. planned right. it out, planned, planned the birth out better. So I'll see myself in the census and my the family, the family unit. It's the only census in which my whole family unit will be together. My mother and father, my grandmother, my, myself and my sister. My wow. father died, he died just after the 1950 census. Hope, what are you most excited about with the release of the 1950 census? Uh, I don't know. Uh, just seeing the family. There's more of the family. Like my parents weren't born to 52 and 54. So unfortunately, I got to wait till 1960 for that. Probably, but yeah. <laughs> at least the whole rest of the family is going to be there, which the last one, it was like my grandmother and one son. And that was kind of cool from 1940 because I found out that he was born out of wedlock and put on the 1940 census as her brother. But now like in 1950, then my grandparents are married. They have the other kids, everybody, but like my dad's. Barbara, in my lecture, what I do is I give, you know, people say, oh, your lecture is too long. Just show me how to do it. I said, I'm putting this in context. I want you to know why they picked those questions, what the factors were. GI's coming home with no housing. Levittown opened as a suburb uh, October 1st, 1947 the economic crisis, post-World War II, all of that. This drives a lot of questions. And so, yeah, so, but it's also the supplemental. I mean, the questions are amazing. The one thing, the bias, they say, if male, did you serve in World War I, World War II? Now we know that women were in World War II, the wax, the waves, the wasps. So I wish we had that info. Yeah, yeah that would be great. Yeah. Starling, what about you? How, what are you most excited about? I want to find out more about my great aunt. She was really interesting and she moved around a lot. I don't know if I ever told you about her, but she got married when she was 16 and then she was sexually assaulted and she was in the, the papers and everything else. And then all of a sudden she ended up having a baby and that baby supposedly died by the hands of her husband. But in the courtroom, according to the newspaper, she didn't seem to be bothered by it until they told her that her husband was going to prison for it. And then I believe she's the one that had this child that connects me to my third great or my third cousins. So I'm kind of wanting to know more about her. And I'm wondering if the 1950 census will tell me a little bit more about her. Yeah, one thing I want to mention, Barbara, the 1950 census is going to be important for LGBT ancestors, because I teach a uh, class called Hiding Out in the Open, Finding Your LGBT Ancestors on the Family Tree. Understand that World War II was one of the biggest events to start the gay rights movement. You thought you were the only gay kid in Kansas. Now you're on a ship with all these others. So if you look at the major gay populations are today, 
their disembarkation points for World War II. Seattle, you know, San Francisco, San Diego, LA. And so, but I always tell my students, if someone just disappears all of a sudden, especially after coming back from World War II, yeah, go down that research path, you know? So I'm really interested to see, because 1940 census, they, you could use the term partner as a relationship mm -hmm. to head a household. I've got a question. I'm not sure if either you or Dr. Morse would know the answer to this, but as I was preparing some information for this particular episode of the podcast, I happened to notice that on the 1910 census, it asked the question about whether the person was a Civil War veteran. However, on most of the documents that I have of 1910, it's not completed or it has some random numbers in it. Do you have any idea what, why that would be? Steve, do you have it? I have info. I do have info. No, I, I, about that. I teach a, a course called the Coded Census and I use Steve's tools for all the codes. And uh, they were starting to use coding. And what they did is no one, the enumerators just didn't use that field. And the Census Bureau wound up just taking advantage of that, that space to put in other codes. There is, a, if you do research on the 1910 census and the codes, it just don't rely on that. I mean, the codes don't make sense. They don't fit what the original numerator instruction was. And they have these things that's supposed to be UA for Union Army, UN for Union Navy. But uh, here, this is a book called User's Guide Public Use Sample 1910. He said, basically, code one was used for Union Army, two for Union Navy. And these are the numbers. That's the only explanation I found. Also, the fact on the 1940 census, you'll see a stamp XOXO. No, they're not giving hugs and kisses. It basically means that the person lived in the same place in 1935. But Steve already has a table with the 1950 codes. Thomas, can you tell us how to sign up to be a volunteer? It's familysearch.org. It's if you just search for 1950 census community project, this is their sign up form. You can sign up here. But also if you register an organization, and this is what I'm urging you to do. If it is true that you can pick out down to the county and or town city, I mean, that's great to have those uh, volunteers to do that. Join the group on Facebook and basically they have a timeline. And okay. so this is it, you sign up here. Thank you so much, it was very interesting. Dr. Morris and Thomas, I appreciate both of you being here to talk to us about the 1950 census. Get ready for the National Genealogical Society's Family History Conference, Our American Mosaic, being held May 24th through 28th, 2022 in Sacramento, California. The 44th National Genealogical Society Family History Conference will have lectures and special programs with an emphasis on researching the diverse cultures that have made California and the West thrive. The conference includes sessions on methodology, DNA, records and repositories, land, Western research, and more, along with the ever popular BCG skill building track. There are three options to attend, in person, online at home, and on demand. The National Genealogical Society helps individuals learn about their family history. For the past 118 years, they have been the leader in the field in teaching genealogical research skills and providing a pathway to scholarly work. Visit www 
www.ngsgenealogy.org for additional information, registration, and membership. The National Archives and Record Administration is the nation's record keeper of all the documents and materials created in the course of business conducted by the United States federal government. Only 1-3% to are so important for legal or historical reasons that they are kept by us forever. Those valuable records are preserved and are available to you. Whether you want to see if they contain clues about your family's history, need to prove a veteran's military service, or are researching a historical topic that interests you. The National Archives of Philadelphia offers many records useful to anyone researching their family history. Naturalization records, census records, ship passenger records, draft and military service records. For more information about the National Archives and their holdings, please visit www.archives.gov. Thank you for joining us today on Heritage Hunters. This has been a CNC production recorded and mixed by me, Barbara May. We would like to thank our guests for sharing their genealogical experiences and personal stories. Be sure to visit us on our webpage, heritage-hunters.com, and our many social media pages such as Facebook, Twitter, Locals, and more. Please leave us a review, like our page, and follow us to be sure to never miss our show. If you'd like to be on the show or have an idea for an upcoming episode, please email us at 2heritage.hunters at gmail.com. And that's the number 2heritage.hunters at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Remember to like and subscribe to our podcast. We hope you'll join us next month on Heritage Hunters. <laughs>